How's it going today, guys? Once again, I'm back here live in the studio. Another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today is Tuesday, um, October 2nd. 2018 coming off a big weekend of NFL and college football. I got a special guest on the podcast for y'all today. Former college offensive lineman Justin Hour. Justin, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, TP3 and gang? Hey, we're back in here again, ready to get down to it. <laughs> Fat listeners. Oh, yeah. Everybody's tuning in. Big time topic here. Start out, Pat Mahomes, the gunslinger. I mean, are them are the Chiefs and him for real? I mean, I say yes. I mean, what are you thinking here? Left or right hand, he'll get it done. Yeah. No, the best play of the whole game to me was so it's second down. They're getting backed up on that game winning drive they had. Second and 30 after like two holding penalties in a row. What do you know? Mahomes just slings it. They get 25 yards. Next play, first down. I think it was 23 yards. Next play, first down. It was like it didn't even phase in the fact that it was that far. I guess when you got that hot Von Miller breath coming down your neck, you'll make anything happen. Um, He's a true gunslinger for sure. He definitely makes college football uh, relevant in the NFL with this kind of offense they're running. Love the screen game, though. And how many times do you see Andy Reid, after a series, go sit down next to him with with his play calls all all lined up? Like, they're, they're nick and knack right there. And it's another prodigy of Andy Reid, so... That's where it all comes down to. He could be on another team and not have nearly the opportunities or be in the position he's in if he's at if he's with another staff. No, one hundred percent. I mean, I just feel like he's in the best situation for him, and he's just such a talent. Like the, how big he is, how fast he is, the speed he plays with, on top of how how just accurate he's become throwing those balls down the field. I really feel like that year he sat out behind Andy Reid, he became a lot better. And you know, I think this was the best game that he's played as an NFL player, and it wasn't his best statistically. I mean, like this. Guy guys set so many records for quarterbacks and you're just like for this far in the season this many games started like he set so many records but I think the biggest thing is that he just played his best game and it wasn't even like a record setting game no it's the game where you see him come overcome adversity it was the first game where he had solid rush in his face for you know the whole game and at times, the game wasn't going his way. He had a couple couple series where he didn't complete a pass, but that's the also the beauty of what Andy Reid does is he makes it easy on him. He was getting the ball out of there really quick in the beginning. Then that pass rush started to set in a little bit. Um, and like I said, they run the screen games. They they really get everybody involved. It's it's that's the beauty of the game is being able to have all those weapons. It's what everybody strives for is to have the Jason Kelseys, and then you got a guy like Kareem Hunt who can pound the ball when you need it, and then you have big playability, you know, outside with yeah, Sammy Watkins. All right. like they went out, and spent the money to put a cast around him. But I think the biggest thing that I want to watch for here is that Andy Reid kind of did this last year. I think the Chiefs started it was either five and zero or six and zero last year and they kind of went through a rough bump. I want to see kind of if that happens. But, I mean, Mahomes hasn't looked like he's been slowed down at all. He looks way better than Alex Smith, completely different player. Obviously, the defenses get a little bit harder. The Chiefs' schedule gets a little more difficult. I know they have to play Jacksonville in two weeks. So, I mean, it's definitely going to keep getting harder from here. But I definitely think the Chiefs are top class in the AFC. The biggest thing, though, to me is their defense. Yeah, they give up a lot of yards. They're one of the worst defenses in the league by giving up yards. But they've been but don't break. They get be- they're the best defense in the NFL at getting you off the field on third down. And I just feel like that, you know, you can let teams get up and down the field, but as long as you're stopping them at some point, it changes this, the entire game. What do you think here? Um, I, they have playmakers on defense. They just need to get, um, you know, their guys in the right positions, uh, you know, giving up all those 
points is is okay, I guess when you can when you can outscore them. So even though they do have a couple question marks on defense, the way Mahomes is playing, if he can keep it up, I mean it's, it's really going to be about stopping the Chiefs. No, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. It's always going to be on their terms since they're going to run the momentum and everything. Like we said, they actually they play Jacksonville next week, then they're at New England. That game's going to be 820 NBC. So, you know, there's definitely going to be some revenge for Tom Brady. They're the last team to go into New England and beat them. So, you know, that he definitely doesn't want to see that happen again. But another big storyline takeaway I had for this weekend is the Steelers, man. I mean, they we know now that Le'Veon Bell said he's going to come back after the bye week, week seven. So, I mean, I just feel like, I mean, the Steelers are, Right now, they really need like something to get them going. Do you think Le'Veon coming back will fix these problems they've had, or are they done? I mean, I think obviously, yeah. And look at all the guys with holdouts this year, how they come out so much stronger. I feel like training camp really does put these guys through it, um, and I think he's going to be fresh, ready to go. He's been down in Florida training in the heat. Um, I mean, shit. Pittsburgh needs needs anything right now at this point, especially. I mean the. Ben Roethlisberger is averaging 48 throws a game. Yeah, that's way too many. They need, they just need him in clock management. Even, you know what I mean? He Mm -hmm. doesn't even necessarily have to have the big plays. Le'Veon will just eat up a little bit more clock too. Um, but I still I'll believe it when I see it as far as Le'Veon coming back week seven after the bye. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't know if he's actually going to come back. I until I see him out there on the field, I'm not believing he's coming back, which I hope he does. He's on my fantasy team, so it's not looking good right now. But my biggest takeaway from the game, I mean, along with what you said, is James Conner only had nine carries for 19 yards. I feel like they're not getting the block up front, but at the same time, I mean, Conner played well that first game of the season against the Browns. He played good the second game. You know, he he played decent in some of these games, but he's not doing enough for them in the run game, and that's really where they're lacking. I think Le'Veon will help give them more fluidity to the offense, but I don't know how good their defense is. I think they're going to have to be beating teams in high scoring shootouts. Right, right, but Le'Veon also is so great out of the backfield, and that's where they utilize him so much also, is why wouldn't they use Connor and make him go, you know, make a couple catches here and there? Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily have to be in between the tackles, and they do have a decent offensive line. Big Ben can stand back there, so they can create some time. Um, you know, with Le'Veon's elusiveness and vision, of course, I think he's going to get back to where he left off. I mean, oh, he's going to go out there and prove, you know, why he's demanding the money he is. I just don't understand this whole lockout. Like, why why get docked all that money uh, and then come back after the buy? It just really doesn't make any sense to me. And I think what James Harrison said was hilarious and so true. He said, I would have reported and faked an injury. Because then you're not getting that you're not getting docked at eight fifty three because you're on the active roster. Yeah, I just think it's him trying to make a point at this point. He really thinks he's that good. He feels like he's being disrespected by not being offered the kind of money he wants, and he knows another team will pay him the money he wants. I mean, he's torn his ACL. He knows how easily everything can be taken from you. But I mean, I definitely see a point. I hate the fact that he is sitting out. It's worse for us as the fans. I think it's worse for the Steelers. It's bad for the NFL. But I mean, I can understand from his standpoint why he's doing it. He's just really the first player I've ever seen kind of do something like this but my biggest thing is yeah the Steelers they average uh, 59.49 more yards per pass yards per game uh, 0.53 more rush yard or more rushing touchdowns per game and then 22 or 0.22 uh, more touchdowns per game just in general but I really think though that they need more of a balanced attack because when you know they're going to line up and throw the ball it doesn't work as well and on top of that it doesn't really run any time off the clock so you can't really control possession or anything like that but 
but I think Le'Veon will make a big difference. I just don't know if this team's locker room is completely falling apart. That's my biggest question right now because I really feel like, you know, like Mike Tomlin, yeah, he's really good at like, he's really good at motivating you on the field and getting the team going, but when it comes down to his locker room, I feel like there's always stuff coming out. Like Le'Veon was talking about his contract before they even played the Jags. They were talking about playing the Eagles, or I mean playing for the Patriots before they even played the Jags. Like, they just completely look past it and you really can't do that. I think Mike Tomlin is too much almost of a player's coach um, to where his team can sort of feel like they do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the same time, he, he sort of has Le'Veon's back because he knows how it works. I mean, he's not ultimately making that call. Yeah, he's not the GM. And, and, and that's my argument with John Gruden, too. Obviously, you want your best player on the team, mm-hmm. but, you know— that man's worried about in two years moving this franchise to Vegas and that kind of thing. And there's but, long run stuff. So everybody covers their their butt in every way. Yeah, but so, at the same time, I feel like if you're green, how do you not call or contact your best player? Like if I'm the coach sent to a new team, if I'm like, let's say I'm sending the Falcons, I'm like, yo, I'm about to call up Julio. I'm about to call up Deion Jones. I'm going to call up Grady Jarrett. Like I would honestly, I would want to have a conversation with every single player on the team, but especially like my best players would be like, talk to me if you need anything. Like let's, you know what I mean? Like you want to keep those guys happy and you want to definitely have those guys on your side because at the end of the day they play for you they feel I, I don't know about I mean you know obviously you're playing sports mm-hmm. you feel like you're playing for the coach and stuff and like if they like you then they're gonna play hard for you right and if I'm Khalil Mack I'm I'm hurt by how you know that transpired exactly and I think Le'Veon probably feels that way too it's just different positions and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um I, I don't bl- blame Le'Veon um He's still making fourteen point five million dollars. Yeah, it's not shot. I mean, no, not at all. I mean, and that's a lot mm-hmm. for one year. Um, it is what it is. This is the gross part of the game. Um, I think free agency is a good thing for the league, um, and I really like how this new transfer rule in the NCAA is kind of taken effect with the the redshirt stuff because it gives players leverage. I think ultimately that's. That's how it should go because it is your body that you're putting uh, on the line and you're entitled entitled to what you think you should be compensated for that. And and it shows true, true heart by Le'Veon to do it, especially after, you know, he like you said, it's not chump change. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, 100 percent. I especially like how they change the rules up to give players more flexibility in, in college football, because it's like really your one chance to grow and become better as a player. And if you feel like you're being mistreated somewhere like you don't want that one thing to be the reason why you can't do better in college, you can't get better at football and learn and have a good experience. So I definitely feel like players should definitely be able to do whatever they want to and transfer and move around, especially with how they change the redshirt rule to four to four games now. Right, and well, coaches always can do whatever they want. You know, they're the first to pull you and put you on the bench. Mm-hmm. They ultimately decide your your future, and they can pick up and leave whenever they want and take a job that they get offered and don't have to sit out or anything. So, I think. Having player freedom is is very much a, a, a good thing. No, yeah, I 100% agree. I like it. It's a good positive move by the NCAA to show they care about their athletes since they don't let them get paid. But ultimately, do you think the Steelers have a chance to make the playoffs here? Like, what would you say your worry level is in Pittsburgh? Um, I'm more worried about these next few games before Le'Veon gets back. Because if they if they can come out of these next three weeks with some wins that will definitely help their cause. I don't think he's lost the locker room Tomlin at all. Um, I think they're just at a funky spot. You know, nobody 
nobody can really address the elephant in the room, and that takes a toll on a locker room, especially after 53 guys get asked about it every day. So a lot of it is is media rhetoric, and that's always the first thing that is cut out in every locker room. So I say we just sit back and see what happens, and I hope nothing but the best for Le'Veon and the Steelers, uh, but I don't see them making it that that far, even if they do make it to the playoffs in a wild card situation, or yeah, no, I just, I don't I I really don't think they're gonna make the playoffs. Honestly, I mean, next game, then the Falcons are both playing each other for the season. Unfortunately, the Falcons got bad more bad news on the way. Grady Jarrett turned his ankle; he could be out the next two to three weeks. So. Um, it's it's just the injuries just keep racking up, guys. I mean, if I could pick three players on our defense that couldn't get hurt, it'd be Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett, and Ricardo Allen. And what do you know? All three of them are hurt now. So it just feels like we can't catch any breaks. It really felt like that that entire game versus the Bengals, like when a- Andy Dalton double-cocked with the ball and they didn't call it a fumble. Like I was just like, can we get any breaks in Atlanta this year? I feel like we're wasting our talent. But this game between them and the Steelers, I think it's huge for both teams. Both teams pretty much the season's on the line at this point. So they both got to get after it. Then I mean, they play at the Bengals, Browns at home, at the Ravens. They could, this could be a really rough stretch for them. It doesn't get any easier because then they play the Panthers at home. Then they go to Jacksonville, to Denver, yeah, to Denver. Then they play the Chargers at home. Then I mean, they kind of get a break with the Raiders, within the Patriots, Saints, and the Bengals again. It feels like there's no easy games on this schedule, really. When you look at it, I feel like that at the Raiders might be an easy game for them. And then other than that, I just feel like it's just hard game after hard game after hard game. So it could. It's going to be tough. I, I Right now, gun to my head, I'm saying Steelers don't make the playoffs. It's a hot take. Hot TP3. take. Steelers miss the playoffs. That's what I'm thinking right now. But if Le'Veon Bell walks in that locker room, it could completely change everything. It could almost be like Jesus coming back from the grave. You know, you see Le'Veon Bell come out there and it re-energizes the entire team. It, that's exactly what they need him to do. Um, we'll see if their offensive line can hold up. I'm always a, a bit – I'm a big pouncy fan. Um, and that's a great guy to have there and playing center. So we'll see. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I've I've been saying for the for the Falcons, it's all about just staying in striking range. When we get Deion Jones back, that's what the Steelers have to do in the situation. So two desperate teams are gonna be matched up on Sunday. Gonna be a huge game. Uh, the Patriots this week they just went off on the Dolphins, scoring thirty eight points. They get wide receiver Julian Edelman back. Quick turnaround to Thursday night. Do you think that this makes the difference that the Patriots need and they get this offense rolling again? Well. Like I said, it's another weapon for Tom Brady. No, I absolutely do not think it'll be a negative at all. I think this is definitely a catalyst. This is Tom Brady's right-hand man. And for the guys that really haven't made the plays that they needed them to make these first few games, now those balls are going to him. Um, because usually when it's that ball's in his vicinity, he's coming down with it. Um, it's just the Patriot way. You know how Tom Brady gets in, locked in with his guys, and uh, sky's the limit. Just hopefully they can all stay healthy. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be huge, too. I think it'll change the entire season for him. That is through Josh Gordon in that offense. Now they're going to throw Edelman in there. I mean, I don't know how big of a difference he'll be this week since it's a short turnaround. He hasn't been able to practice with the team since training camp. So I don't know how that's going to work for the team, but I feel like it won't be that big of a deal. I look for him to be in there a good bit, but the biggest thing to me is it moves Hogan back out wide and him and puts Edelman in the slot. So then I feel like both players are in better spots for them in the offense because this offense has struggled. They scored 10 points at the Lions, 20 points against Jacksonville, but those were mostly turnover fueled against Jacksonville. They finally went off 
this week and Sony Michelle, I really feel like brought like their run game all the way together and may not be a bad thing that they lost Burkhead, but it's going to be a short week turnaround and if we'll see it right away, but they need to figure things out before they play the chiefs on Sunday night football in two weeks. Well, historically Patriots are horrible in September. Now it's October. Um, and usually when the Patriots have a crummy September, they end up in the postseason. Oh, so I think that they really have nothing to worry about. I think they're just getting, you know, ramped up. I don't think there'll be much too much to install for, for Danny at all. Um, you know, he, they, him and Tom sitting on the beach in tight pants and, and run plays. So they, they took care of what needed to be taken care of in the summer. Yeah, no, I think Patriots will be fine. I'm, I think they're just going to make the playoffs. Still probably going to get a Super Bowl. Nothing really changed there. So huge controversial call. Te- Colts go for it on fourth down in the Texans or in their own zone, trying to beat the Texans in overtime in a crazy game where we saw Andrew Luck throw the ball over 60 times. Frank Re- Reich, do you think he made the right call here? I think he made the right call because he's setting the tone for his new team. And at the press conference, he said, yeah, I make that call 10 out of 10 times. It's a ballsy call, but look what all the stuff the Eagles, you know, pulled off last year on, you know, they, they were one of the best teams on fourth down. Um, you know, he brought a lot of that, el- that Eagles element to Indianapolis with him. So I, I like it. And, you know, really, I think uh, on another game, another day, Andrew Luck makes that throw and doesn't, you know, short arm it. Yeah, see, my thing about that throw is I don't like the play call. I don't like the call in general because it's the, to me with coaching, like I've always said about Pete Carroll and these other coaches who are the best ones in the NFL, when it comes down to games, they'll make the crazy call. Like Pete Carroll against the Packers in that, I guess it was the 2015 a- or NFC Championship game. He called the fake field goal. He got the onside kick. He made all kinds of ballsy calls, and he got away with them. Then he throws the interception on the goal line. You're like, yeah, that was a ballsy move because you'd be like, oh, they have beast mode. They're going to run the ball right here. But instead, he pulls up and throws the ball. So I feel like coaching, it's one of those things where if you try something that doesn't work, you're crazy and you're an idiot. But if it works, then you're genius. So I'm going to go with that I don't like the play call and that I am just wasn't a fan of it. But, I mean, I can definitely understand why people like it. If he converts it, I'd be praising him right now. Exactly. And and what happens if the Philly specials and an interception or some dumbest play call? And, yeah, everyone's and, like, what are you doing? In the history of the NFL. So I think – Coach's number one job is to put his players in the position to succeed. Yeah, to make them and I think and I think the play call wasn't as is as, as bad, you know. He can't make Andrew Luck go out there and throw the ball, you know. Mm-hmm. He's gotta let his players do their Receiver job as open. well. Receiver was open. So you know, that's really more on execution than I think coaching because they run it in practice, you know, he was confident with the call, just didn't work out, and that's football. You get another you get another day. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely a tough loss for the Colts to take. It would have been big. I mean, it was absolutely huge, though, for the Texans. They would have gone to 0-4. That really would have been their season right there. So I think Houston kind of has some new life here. Looking at the Texans' perspective of things, this is a team that I picked to go to the Super Bowl. I'm really high on Deshaun Watson. It's not looking very good for them anymore. What do you think? Do you think this team get in the playoffs? Uh, Probably not. I think they're in a bigger hole than they can dig out of right now. Um, That's sort of the bad part about not starting hot because now you really have to win every single game throughout. And that's so hard to do. So hard to put week to week, you know, back to back together like that. 
Um, I think they're a young team. It, it's just I feel like there's so many teams in the NFL right now that are one play away. I mean, look at the Falcons. They're they're it's been super 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 close games. They're one play away. Matt Ryan's had two record games. Um, back to back, first, is, yeah. First, first quarterback, quarterback ever to ever lose, to putting up those stats, putting up thirty five right. offensive points, like. Yeah, it's abs- it's absurd how all that happened to us. This kind of reminds me of the season back in 2014 or 13, actually, when we had all those injuries. It was the last year, one of the last years of the Mike Smith era, one of the, the last year we actually projected to be good. Everybody went down and got hurt, and it just kind of reminds me of that season. Everybody gets hurt, and there's nothing you can do about it. When it rains, it pours. We're getting Devontae Freeman back, I think, this week. Yeah, he's back. And, and he'll add to sort of that clock eating. You know, if we can mm-hmm. outscore all these people, you know, having that run game to eat up clock is is essential. That's that's the key to winning the game. It really has got to be a balanced game, balanced play call, and have you know at least twenty touches. You know, for, for your running back, uh, that's that's huge. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. We got to start running the clock a little bit more. I really feel like that. We just, I just feel like that we we haven't done. We can't stop anybody on defense. That's our main problem. But I really feel like that on offense, if that we don't have to pass the ball as much, it could be a little bit better. Don't get me wrong. I love having Matt Ryan back there slinging it. But I just feel like that every we'd have to pass the ball so much, the clock stopping. And also, Ito and Tico are both the same kind of runner. They're both more to the outside of the edges of the field, use their speed to get outside rather than Freeman's that inside zone runner. He likes to hide by the offensive line, and then he throws his body weight into the – he slams into people. Like I, He's such a, like a violent runner. He's probably one of the most – He's one of the most old school running backs in the league. Like his body's falling apart at this point. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him stay healthy. Um, we really need that. But like I said, offense is the best defense. So if the ball's in his hands, you you really don't have to rely as much on your defense because you're keep you're keep one you're keeping them off the field, and two you're you're you have an explosive you have one of the most explosive offenses in the in the NFL. So scoring points isn't the issue. It's, it's being able to get out in front and keep it. Yeah. No. And and having, well, not only that, but having Tico and, and you know, the other guy, you know, yeah, that's right. Um, they're more of a feature back and you can use them yeah. in the screen game and, and use your, use Devontae as your, you know, between the tackles guy and he's going to break he's going to break a couple of those plays and he really can be used out of the backfield so it keeps everybody on their toes not only mentioned but how do you I mean you have Sanu you have Julio Jones you got Ridley to all worry about at the same time too so get Hooper more involved even though he's kind of a wild card guy um, you know that takes pressure off off Matt Ryan and almost everybody else too. The more Matt Ryan's most successive, successful years are when he's hitting nine dudes in a game. When he's got nine guys catching balls and everybody scoring, that's when he's at his all-time best, and you can't stop that. Yeah, I mean, it feels like kind of like Matt Ryan's doing that again this year. The offense has been really well. Like, I just feel like it's the second year him and Sark been back together. It's like we I've been saying about Matt Ryan. He's got to get two years with that offensive coordinator, and he's so much better the next year. We've just executed so much better on offense. I mean, if you look at all our players, they have so many just chunk plays and catching. Like, Julio Julio's over 500 yards receiving, yet he doesn't have a touchdown, which kind of sucks. But, I mean, like, it, doesn't, it sucks for Julio. Like, he's definitely put up the numbers. 
Ridley's just gotten all the touchdowns. He's got six receiving touchdowns right now. That's crazy. I'm pretty sure he leads the NFL in that category. But I mean, we've got Marvin Hall, um, Tevin Coleman, Austin Hooper, Sanu, um, Ridley, and or sorry, sorry, we got a we got Tevin Coleman, Hooper, Sanu, Ridley, and Logan Paulson that all already caught touchdowns. I mean, we know Julio's bound to catch one. We know Devontae Freeman's going to catch a touchdown. So I mean, we could definitely grow these numbers. Yeah, and and Paulson, for example, I love that play call. Yeah. Um, to get him the ball, that like I said, use all your guys. When when our stars are are getting so much attention, that's doing us a favor, and that's where it com- coaching and Sarkeesian comes into comes into work. He's got to get the ball in those guys' hands who aren't being covered and who aren't getting as much attention because it keeps everybody honest on everybody. And like I said, that's the that's the best offense Matt Ryan can run. Yeah, no, I, it'll, I hope we can do that against Pittsburgh because both these offenses are going to be on the field. I think we can do it, though, because they can't run the ball, so that's going to be a big key this week. We'll move on here from this uh, – from this one and we'll look at the Eagles here before we switch over to college football um, Eagles this season I mean they've struggled a little bit going 2-2 two and two so far this season you think they can turn things around? It's another team on the cusp I think Wentz getting back in there and getting back into the groove um, they're, they're also settling in you know with a new play caller and not only that but he had to adjust his whole you know scheme you know, Doug Peterson is 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 into adjusting his scheme to his quarterback. So the first four weeks, they're they're all on foals, and not to mention this is a new guy coming in after Frank Wright goes to the Colts. So I think we're you know we're week two really in in the eyes of the Eagles as far as where they're at. Um, so I think the sky's the limit. They're deep. You cannot run on the Eagles. So, Not at all. So if our offense gets back to where we were, I mean, sky's the limit. Um, you know, Carson Carson hopefully can stay healthy and his knee stays strong. He he looks good back there. I think it's just really an execution thing, um, getting back to Alshon Jeffrey, who's been out, and sort of the new pieces of the pie because we did lose a couple guys. We don't have Trey Burton anymore, but our tight end play is, is good, and getting Goddard and Ertz, you know, really back involved is, is big time. They, they run that really cool two tight end set, think it's the 22 package and that's caught a lot of uh defenses in confusion and they can throw out of that as well as well as run yeah no i i agree with you i think the eagles it's just the fact that they had foals in there and they're finally starting to get all their key pieces back in place and stuff so i really if like alshon's back too i mean ajay has been banged up they just had so many injuries they're starting to get all their guys back so eagles could easily be the falcons as far as the injury stuff goes falcons just have gotten it on the the unlucky end and when it rains it pours yeah and that game against the eagles and falcons was huge for both teams like if the falcons won that game we would be in decent shape right now but now we're one and three instead of two and two and like the Eagles winning that game now they're two and two and then right before they got their boys back so I mean it's things the Eagles that's exactly why they're coaching superior yeah they lost the Bucks, but they were the banged up Eagles and I just feel like that they've done everything the right way and the way they need to it's just such good coaching Doug Peterson's one of the best coaches in the NFL I think that 
I don't know if they'll beat the Vikings or not this week. That's going to be a tough matchup. I'm probably favoring the Vikings in this game. But I think I like it against the Giants. They, I mean, they do play the Panthers and Jags and the Cowboys. Cowboys will be easy. I think like they can beat the Giants pretty easily, handle them. And I feel like they're going to get this thing rolling and beat the Panthers and the Jags as well. I think they have the defensive line that can shut down Cam Newton. Cam Newton's one of those guys I've watched Cam Newton play so many times. Cam Newton, if you let him get up and dance on you, dab on you, throw up his little first down points and stuff, if you you let Cam Newton do that, he's going to have a field day on you, and he's literally going to own you. It's all a mental thing with him. If you hit him early, hit him in the mouth, knock him around, beat him up a little bit, Cam Newton gets all – he goes over there, puts the towel over his head, and gets all pissy over on the bench and sits over there, and you're in his head, and the game's over. I've seen it thousands of times. Every Like the game the Falcons beat them in that season, they went to the Super Bowl. The two times they lost was because the Falcons got after him. Vic Beasley sacked him in the first quarter. Adrian Claiborne, we were all over Cam Newton right as the game started. Exactly same thing happened in the Super Bowl. Vaughn Miller got after him. I actually picked Vaughn Miller to win Super Bowl MVP. That was got great odds on that. But I mean, that game, it's just that's how it is with Cam Newton. It's all a mind game. I really think the Eagles have a line that can do that. Yeah, Fletcher Cox holding it down. Um, they really get everybody involved. That's a, a defense that can run, you know, sideline to sideline. Mm-hmm. I, I just hope they can uh Get their crap together, and and luckily that this Titans loss is not a divisional game, so yeah, it hurts you, but in the long run, uh, I think we'll still be at top of the division. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I think the division's kind of weak. Uh, the Cowboys and the Giants, to me, the, Gi- the Giants will not be good as long as they have Eli Manning playing quarterback. I said it all season long. Eli Manning will hold the Giants back this season from having a big year, and that's exactly what's happening. They even went out and got him a left tackle with Nate Solder from the Patriots. So you really can't say, oh, the line play's been bad, this, that. They've spent money on it. They got him Saquon Barker. They got him all the toys, and you can't do anything with him, even paying Odell. So you can write the Giants out of that division. The Cowboys have no weapons at wide receiver without Sean. On Lee out, they're going to struggle to stop teams. Houston's going to get a huge win against them on the road this week. I really like the, I really like them in that game, and I really don't think the Cowboys have a chance to go in the playoffs. The Redskins are a decent team now. I kind of like their roster, but I mean the Eagles are way more stacked, better coached. I like the Eagles. Um, Redskins defense is really um, coming out of the woodwork. Um, like like their hard play. Um, you know, I think if they can get Kirk Cousins back into his gunslinger mode, um, they kind of have a bunch of low-key weapons. Um, you know, they, they could definitely make a run. I don't see them beating the Eagles, though. Yeah, um, they'll be like 8-8 eight eight or something yeah. like that. And they could be a wild-card team. They could be a team that would come come to Atlanta and upset, upset everybody. Nah, they could come to Atlanta and get it done. Once we get Deion Jones back and Grady Jarrett back, I don't see that happening. But let's move on here. College football Final Four. We finally had some big, big Final Four implications this week. The matchups were Notre Dame and Sanford, which Notre Dame dominated, and then Ohio State, Penn State, which came down to the wire this week. Now looking at our rankings, it's it's looking pretty good. We got a decent amount of undefeated teams left, but we finally have some clarity. We got Alabama at one, five and zero. Georgia at two, five and zero. Ohio State at three, five and zero. Clemson. This is by the AP poll, by the way, five and zero. LSU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, all five and zero. And then West Virginia sitting back there at nine, just because they're four and zero. And UCF, who hasn't lost in two years. I mean, what do you think? How do you think the Final Four picture is kind of coming together right now? Um, Final Four. You know, I think with the first three, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, those are pretty, pretty spot on. I think if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt again. Clemson's in big trouble. Um, 
you know, if he gets if he gets rocked again, like he like, you know, running around all tall like a draft, <laughs> get his head top, you know, knocked off. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be bad news bears and Clemson. And, you know, the whole Kelly Bryant situation is really going to think show its ugly teeth. But, um, you know, if that's not the case and Trevor Lawrence, you know, can play the way, you know, they think he can play, then I, I don't see much changing in the top top four. Um, Georgia's got a couple, you know, tough road uh, road games. They still have Auburn at home and then they have LSU. You know, in Baton Rouge, that could easily be, be an L. You know, game. that's a huge, huge That'll game. That'll probably be game day. Um, but, you know, Georgia's really sort of gotten into this Alabama-type groove where, you know, they're starting to, to be very, very consistent. Um, they got young guys who make plays, um, stable of back, you know, running backs. I think Georgia's offense is what a lot of these NFL teams need to kind of balance out is you know not every NFL team has a stable of backs and talent but if they can have the their run and and pass plays and the ratio of Georgia's that's key and have the production out of their backfields like Georgia gets it's just clock management and and game game management and that's essential to to these big time games especially when it comes down to the wire it's possessions yeah no i feel like with Clemson especially there, I mean, Chase Bryce played well. He made that huge fourth and sixth throw. I felt like that, that he kind of exercised some demons on that, but they just absolutely lined up and ran the ball. They literally took their big offensive line, which Georgia does too, and they just bully you. They just kept throwing. We, they're like, yo, we got a bigger line. Let's just bully them, hand the ball off, just beat them to death. That's what we've seen Georgia do too is they just run the ball all over you, and over the course of the game, yeah, you can stop them in the first half, but in the second half, they're going to run you over, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And I think it's a great way to play, but – Going over everything, I think Clemson stays undefeated. Looking at their schedule at Wake Forest, I've watched Wake Forest play many times. This defense cannot stop anything. They're one of the they give them some of the most points in the NCAA. I expect Clemson to run the ball and move the ball all over them and try to settle in a little bit more with Trevor Lawrence because this team was Kelly Bryant's team. So you still have to remember everybody's getting used to Trevor Lawrence in there. If NC State at home, I mean, I don't see NC State going in there and getting a victory, but that'll definitely be a big-time matchup. But just looking at all these other teams, Alabama to me, I'm going to be honest, unless Georgia can combine their defense with Oklahoma's offense, nobody's beating Alabama. We'll see. I mean, it, you know, Georgia really should have beat them last year. I think they they have the most knowledge on Alabama for sure out of any of these teams. And they just have to figure out a way to get into his face because finally Alabama has the most probably well-rounded team that Nick Saban's ever had, um, you know, with the combination of offense and decent defense. Yeah. His defense has always been outstanding. But, I mean, they, they haven't had a name-brand pro-style Quarterback. I mean, oh, yeah, they've always been well known, but they're not, you know, great college quarterbacks. And they, they've never had, you know, insane pass games. They do have the clock management type team. With, yeah, like with AJ the bully McCarran, running back. Greg McElroy, right. all those are John they Parker Wilson. <laughs> yeah, John Come Parker. on now. Yeah, they got all <laughs> of them, dude. This is way too many, too many, too many of them. But I really feel like Tua is the not only is he we'll have the debate in a minute between him and Kyler Murray, but he's probably the best quarterback in the nation. This guy's putting up Heisman trophy as stats. He can run the ball too. He's dual threat. I just feel like Alabama always get the five star receivers. Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. You see all of them. They've got him in there again, and now they finally have the quarterback 
quarterback to get them the ball consistently that I don't see any team being able to stop Alabama. Georgia has a good shot because of their defense. I think it'll be interesting to see, though, what happens between Fromm and Justin Fields. I feel like we could see Fields getting some more snaps, and it's going to be interesting when Fields comes in and makes a big throw. You know you're going to hear all the Georgia fans when Fromm starts struggling to put Fields in there, but I think Fromm is still the best quarterback for this team. Absolutely. I, I don't think Justin Fields is is uh, going to get uh, a starting shot at all this year. They're going to use him as, as a feature guy, and he's going to earn his way. I think Kirby Smart has the correct uh, way of managing um, all this talent because that is a huge, you know, huge issue. I don't think it's for for the better that that you know Justin Fields get pissed off and transfer. So I think he's going to keep both of those guys hungry. I think having the competition is great for both of them, from and Fields. And Fields is the kind of guy that Tua is in the sense where you know when when shit hits the fan in these big games. To have the confidence to throw in a wild card where these teams don't necessarily have a huge game plan for. And to have the type of athlete that Fields is, you know, I think we almost even have the edge because Fields can go in there and run the ball just like a running back. I mean, he he's a stout, stout guy. And and also have have the ability to throw the ball. I mean, we've we have some legit um receivers as well. Isaac Nada made a big time heads oh, up yeah. play. Um, but that was his block that he missed that that caused that. Um, thank God he was just you know on his toes. But uh, you know to have Riley Ridley and Terry Godwin and these and these guys, these veteran guys, I think that's where we're most veteran at as that wide receiver. Um, you know I really hope that that the Georgia offensive staff can really get creative and and have some stuff with Fields featured in that that teams won't be ready for. Yeah, no, I feel like adding Demetrius Robertson to this team, too, is a nice pickup for Georgia. But Right, and he actually – he so my dad's uh, roommate was his high school coach, and he originally went to Cal and hated it. Mm-hmm. And he went right back to Georgia um, where he originally was thinking about going. It's where really where my dad's you know roommate wanted him to go. Uh, thought he'd be a great fit and look at him flourish. Yeah, he's been absolutely flourishing this season for Georgia, uh, especially running the ball for them on those on those in around plays. You know, they get him involved, they get everybody involved well in their offense. Uh, do you think Notre Dame can go undefeated? I've I've looked in their schedule how they played. I mean, that defense has lots of players who will play on Sundays. Like I'm one of those people who hates Notre Dame. I'll always hate on Notre Dame, but I'm gonna be honest. Ian Book going in there has made their pass game a lot more dynamic, and this defense is imposing. Like Stanford has an explosive offense. JJ Arcega Whiteside's probably a top five receiver in the nation. We all know how good Bryce Love is. He's had a terrible season this year, but they absolutely shut him down. Um, yeah, I'm actually pulling for Notre Dame. Um, my, my good friend Logan Plant, shout out, is on that team. We went to prep school together. He's uh, like a fullback and, and center, you know, swing yeah. offensive lineman type guy. So I'm actually, you know, pretty well informed with how that locker room is and some of those guys. I was actually supposed to go to the Notre, I mean, the Stanford game, Ooh. but I was in Oakland. But um, I think they, they have a definitely a great locker room. And that's a bunch of guys that really want to go out there and win. And I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson falls apart, 
Notre Dame hop up the, hop up in there and possibly making the playoff. Yeah, my final four currently, by the way, Notre Dame's schedule looks pretty easy. All they have to do is get past Virginia Tech. Then at that point, they play again. They have a pretty easy schedule. I mean, they still have Florida State on the schedule. We know how that is. Uh, USC, last game of the season, obviously, that's a classic. But then they get Navy, Pitt. I mean, it's easy. At Northwestern, looking down that schedule, there's really nobody on there, I think, that can challenge them. Obviously, you got to be on your toes and take every opponent seriously. Seriously, but I mean, there's no excuses here for Notre Dame if they don't go undefeated. LSU has to run the gauntlet, having to play Alabama, Georgia. Uh, it just it gets hard for them. Obviously, they beat Auburn already. They still have to play Mississippi State. He's no joke. They play at Florida, number 22 Florida this week. Um, at Texas A&M, last game of the season. I mean, those are not those are not easy games. Arkansas and Rice will obviously be victories, but I mean, they get tested every week for the next couple weeks here. So we'll really see what LSU's made of. I honestly think they're probably. I think they definitely lose to Alabama. I mean, I don't think Alabama's going to run away with it like that, but two is just such a better quarterback than LSU has. And on top of that, I mean, this LSU offense to me hasn't been great. Everybody's put up big points against Ole Miss. This is where I finally make my judgment on LSU and if they can beat Georgia is against is at Florida this week. Miami, Miami had tons of turnovers in the first half. You look at it, LSU doesn't – they uh, had six points in the second half. Miami kind of shut them down. So once Miami's kind of settled in, it was a completely different game. But, I mean, if you look down at the schedule, they really – Really haven't had a great offensive showing yet. Um, I, I really agree. Um, you know, LSU is just so good at home. Um, yeah, that's going to be Georgia's definitely their first big yeah, time. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough game for Georgia. Yeah. Like right now, I think LSU could beat them. Like if they're impressive against Florida, they could beat Georgia. Well, they they do have that 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 Cajun voodoo magic. Mm-hmm. Um, anything goes in Death Valley, at, especially at night. Um, hate to see Georgia go down, but um, wouldn't be the most surprised if they did. Um, it's just one of those classic SEC mashups. Um, but if Georgia prevails, it's going to be hard for LSU to to bounce back. They got to, like you said, gauntlet end of the year. Yeah. Um, the going is just get the going's just getting tough for LSU right now. Right now, my final four prediction, I'm gonna go with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame. Only reason why I'm leaving Georgia out of there is because I feel like all these teams are gonna be undefeated. And then when Georgia loses to Alabama in the in the SEC championship game, that that's gonna end up being the L that knocks Georgia out of there. Obviously, if they could beat Alabama or if somebody like Clemson or Ohio State or Notre Dame loses a game, they'll get left out. It's gonna be weird with Oklahoma. Too. I mean, Kyler Murray, I'm all over Kyler Murray. I think he's the best player in college football. Their schedule is pretty easy, too. So, I mean, we could end up having six undefeated teams here. And don't forget about Central Florida. The thing is, West Virginia and, Oak, and Oklahoma will get even out. Red River, rival, Red River rivalry, ugh, that's tongue twister, is uh, this weekend. I mean, do you think Texas can pull this off? Um, Probably not. I, I really don't think Texas is... They've they've had you know a couple good weeks. Um, they've been an absolute crap storm the past few years. Yeah, Kansas State outscored them fourteen. Yeah, so half. so I I really have no really expectations for Texas at all. Um, you know I think this is where this is the time of year with all these undefeated teams where I start praying for for losses just because if we have all these teams that are undefeated getting to the playoff here come the you know the bandwagoners about the bigger playoff which i think is kind of overkill i really like the four game format Ooh. um and i think i think that the the more undefeateds the worst off 
um, for college football. I, I, w- I really would like to see the scheduler, sc- the scheduling get better. And I think I really think the top 25 teams should be playing and really shouldn't have a, necessarily a set schedule. I think these money, these money games and these cupcake games are, are a waste of time. There should be one, one a year. Ooh, see, I disagree with you. I like an A-team playoff, but I also like the cupcake games. Because if you think about these cupcake programs, like Kennesaw, for example, we have terrible fans. Like, nobody at the school goes to the games, nothing. Like, they don't make hardly any money. Nobody really buys the merchandise. Like, this is how these programs get money is by going and playing these big schools and getting beat up on Saturdays. Like, yeah, it does suck to watch Alabama go out there and play them. But, I mean, if you go look at Alabama and LSU schedules, like, they should be able to play that many cupcakes. Because, I mean, Alabama still played Louisville, which was a cupcake this year but I mean last year they had Lamar who could have stuck around and Louisville has Bobby Petrino so like it's not necessarily to be a cupcake but Arkansas they play Arkansas State in the Citadel but if you look at their schedule they have to play number eight Auburn Mississippi State at LSU is number five at Tennessee I mean Tennessee's not good this year but versus they've played Missouri at Arkansas I mean to versus Texas A&M Ole Miss like oh yeah and they played the Raging Cajuns of um, Louisiana but I mean I just feel like they should be able to play these play teams like this just because they play such hard games throughout the season that they prove that they're worth it. Yeah, but I, I disagree in the fact that, that all the teams do that. Um, I, I would like to see interconference. You know, I think they should play everybody in their division and then more – Interconference games. Yeah, I mean, it'd be fine if you played like two, like two cupcakes, and then played like two inter. Yeah, I played like they had like kind of like they do for basketball, and they have like the ACC Big Ten tournament and like the SEC Big Twelve. They did something like that against each other. I think it'd make it a little bit more fun and competitive. But like you said, the teams just want to go undefeated, so they like scheduling these cupcake teams, so then they can go undefeated. But. I personally like an eighteen playoff. It's I think college football should too. It's more money. I mean, I watch the other bowls just because there's nothing else on TV, and I just want to watch football. But besides Florida State's bowl in the Final Four, I mean, none of these other bowls mean anything. So I think it gives us more meaningful games and just makes it more fun. Like I want UCF to get in there. I want UCF to get a shot. I think if they're one of the only four undefeated teams, you have to put UCF in there. They don't lose a game for two years, and they even tried to schedule good teams. Like they beat Auburn last year. I mean, yeah, they played UConn, but they and they try to play Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's typically a good program. I mean, SM, SMU this week. I mean, they play decent opponents. It's not like they're playing in like the whack or something like that. You know what I'm saying? The American is decent. Decent, right? That's the whole problem. It's a it's a it's a year of decent where you're undefeated. And, and there's too many teams out there fighting for it. Um, that's where I disagree with you. Even if Georgia does lose the SEC's championship, they'll be back in there like they were last year. Yeah, I mean, if somebody, if Ohio State or somebody loses, just looking at Ohio State's schedule, I think they should win every game left on their schedule. I thought Penn State was the only team that had a chance just because it was at Penn State. We know how crazy that game is, Ohio State, Penn State, but they couldn't pull it off. I don't think Ohio State, though, can hang with these bigger programs just because all they've played is a bunch of cupcakes. And if Penn State actually had a decent offense, like their offense, first off, that was the worst. That was the worst fourth down play call I've ever seen in the history of sports. Like when I saw that, I was like, what is wrong with James Franklin? Like, is like, that was the dumbest thick play call. I've ever seen. I think it's a perfect representation of the moments too big for him and that whole team. Um, you know, it all comes down, you know, from the coaching staff down. And, uh, you know, what a bonehead call. You know, Key and Peel should be out there making that call. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure. I'm too pretty too sure many jokes over there in Penn State. Yeah, anybody could have called a better play than that. But, 
I guess I can see your argument on UCF. I just feel like if they're one of the only undefeated teams, they should get in there. But, I mean, if Georgia is a one-loss team, they'll get in over there over any other one loss, 100%. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with these teams. But let's go to our final topic here. Two, who do you have for Heisman Trophy? I mean, there's four basically contenders right now. We got Tua, Kyler Murray, Will Greer, and Dwayne Haskins. I mean, who are you picking out all these guys? Um, really, I, it's like the least I know about a, a, a class at this point in the season uh, ever. There's really not any big, you know, brand name guys. Um, I really think Greer has, has been putting in some work. I mean, he's got some crazy numbers. Um, but if Tua and and Tua keeps on track where, where he's at and, and they, they go undefeated, I'd be very surprised to see him not win it. Yeah, I definitely think Tua has the upper hand on these guys. I love watching Kyler Murray play, though. He's thrown for over 1,400 yards. He has 17 passing touchdowns, a passer rating of 230.9 right now. He also can run the ball, too. He's got 285 yards rushing, four touchdowns. He's got 21 total touchdowns. That's the most of any player in college football right now. He's absolutely balling. But, I mean, I watched most of this Oklahoma-Baylor game while I was watching the Florida State game, and the plays he was running were unreal. Like, it'd be second and 25. He would fake a pitch to a running back and then just run around on the field and get a first down and then just walk out of bounds because he was just like, like Baylor yard trash. Like they would literally be like, "Oh, Marquise Brown doesn't have a reception yet this game." Like he average, like he's tenth in the nation in um, pat and passing or receiving yards in his in a game or in or per game. And he would literally just boom catch touch sixty five yard touchdown. Anything he wanted happened, and I just felt like he absolutely dominated this game. So it's going to be tough for me to go between Murray and Tua. I think a lot of it comes down to how teams perform. But I think Howard Murray so far has had the best Heisman-worthy game. He threw for six touchdowns, had one rushing, 432 yards against Baylor, seven total touchdowns. I think the wild card is Benny Snell Jr. from Kentucky. He has, he has even as a passing touchdown this season, they're running back. He has 115 carries for six uh, for 639 yards and eight touchdowns. So, I mean, he's just going to keep balling out. And I love everything he's done for this Kentucky team. I feel like he's kind of put them on his back to 5-0 and so far. Yeah, what, what a surprise Kentucky is. Uh, like to see them come out of nowhere. Um, you know, the Heisman's a funny thing because of how it's voted on. It's mm-hmm. it's always under scrutiny. And I don't think, obviously, numbers aren't the only thing that, that attests to winning. You know what I mean? So, yeah, these guys have crazy, crazy numbers, but they still somehow don't get themselves in there. Um just because they they don't play the high the high capacity schedule that some of these other guys do. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. I think it'll come down to how it's how the team performs along with the quarterback. It'll be interesting. I think Greer and Murray will kind of cross each other out because they play each other last game this season. So I think whichever one loses that game will lose out in the Heisman race. Uh, Haskins in Ohio State is going to be interesting to see how well they do with that. But I feel like two is definitely the front runner right now. And I think two will be the best out of all these guys in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but Justin, I appreciate having you come on, man. Thanks, dude. I enjoyed it. Hey, it's always a pleasure, but we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.